Hi, I'm Tanya Schaefer. I write plays and prose and I blog and I do a podcast and I teach off-leash writing workshops. And you are listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. Hi, I'm Wendy Sheridan, and this is The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. And hi, I'm Robin Renee, and here we are at episode 120. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) We are still exploring our season theme, which is the many aspects of freedom. And we've discussed topics including primordial freedoms, freedom of speech, freedom in sex and relationships, and the enjoyment and costs of freedom so many different aspects to this uh, this topic. So uh, in our featured interview today, I talk with writer and podcaster Tanya Schaefer on breaking through, your, breaking through to your inner freedom to get to your true creative expression. And she is uh, many things. She's a playwright and uh, does a lot, writes a lot of different things, but she's also the host of Off-Leash Arts Conversations on Creativity, which is a cool podcast in its own right. So we're glad to have her on the show. But before that, Robin and I are going to talk about why Wordle is awesome. Yes, we are on the Wordle bandwagon, we admit it. (laughs) So how have you been in the fortnight since our last show? How was your fortnight? Um, My fortnight was (laughs) quite good. I have an exciting new thing in my house, which is cool. Yeah. A friend of mine who didn't found found a treadmill at like a, a an auction oh a while like a long time ago and didn't really use it and so uh he said basically i got the most exercise moving it into the house and back out of the house <laughs> <laughs> i said i would love it so i'm really glad to have that i think my 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 brain chemistry is much better when I'm active. And so just being able to have that as an extra tool around is is a good thing. So I'm psyched about that. No, that's cool. I had yeah. and got rid of a treadmill over the last 10 years as well. So <laughs> they're uh when they're when they're in the house and you're actually using them, they're great. But when they become like a clothes rack and <laughs> they're not yeah. they're not so useful. <laughs> right. <laughs> And the other thing that uh, I had a good time spending time with friends and stuff this weekend, which was nice. One of the things I did is I went to my town's St. Patrick's Day Mm. celebration thing, which was cool and very, very family friendly. I mean, there's there was alcohol, but it was not nearly as drunk as (laughs) some some celebrations I've been at and and witnessed. So it was kind of chill. But I had this experience that stays in my mind because it was so absurd okay so at one point i'm standing there and i'm leaning on this pole watching this band you know mm-hmm. and this guy just comes up to me and and he's like are you waiting for a bus <laughs> and i'm like 
I wish I had a, a response fast enough, you know, because I just kind of said, um, no. And I was like, that wouldn't be very useful at this moment or something like that. Because <laughs> like, like, so he so couldn't imagine that I was at an Irish festival <laughs> that he thought uh. I was standing, waiting for a bus on a street that was clearly closed off for a <laughs> festival. <laughs> I was like, dude. <laughs> so it was just, okay. it was just very. He was questioning, he was basically questioning your presence at an Irish themed thing on St. Patrick's Day. I think that's got to be it because any, I don't think anybody else. I, I just can't imagine I, what else. Are you is waiting going on. for a bus? Are you waiting for a bus? So it's like it's just it. It's I don't know. I should write. It needs to be an essay. Or that's the title. That's the title of your of your <laughs> yeah. My life in races. <laughs> yes. Are you waiting for a bus? Exactly. So yeah, oh that my was God. that was cl a classic one. It was just really... <laughs> okay, so now it's it's standing while leaning on a pole while black. So <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my uh, God, uh, that was good. Uh, you got to laugh for crying, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if you could pull off an Irish accent, a really strong Irish accent, whatever you said should have been said in an Irish accent. <laughs> exactly. You know. <laughs> I'll be prepared in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Next St. Patrick's Day. Are you right? <laughs> but yeah. yeah but so, anyway, it, so, was, <laughs> it was a good weekend overall, but that was a well, very silly moment. That's good. I'm I'm kind of my rewind is kind of mixed up with or or with uh, a check-in. So so the first thing is is we went to see my my nephew Peter Gill Sheridan, who was our featured interview last show, we went to see his play yesterday, the space this space between us. It was a wonderful play. It was very funny. Um, there was a line at the beginning, like in the first ten minutes, that I swear to God is something that I say or Rich and I say all the time. I can't remember what it is. I, I'm going to have to, I have to get the script from him and find it because obviously it, it just made me feel really good that I influenced the play in some way. <laughs> Cause <laughs> yeah, there were stuff you recognize, you know, knowing everybody in the family that you recognize certain patterns or, or, or just some stuff that got thrown out there that was definitely like, oh yeah, okay, that's, that's this person or that person said, I remember them saying or doing that thing. And, and that was fun. And, and what was really, I found really interesting is afterwards we were, we were schmoozing in the outside the, the, the theater, you know, he came out, Peter came out and, and the cast members were coming out to go home. And what, was surprising to me was how short everybody was because <laughs> they all looked like a foot taller on stage and they were all, everybody was really short and it was like, Whoa, how, wait a minute. Are you the same person? And they also took off like their wigs and their age makeup. So it's like everybody looked 10 years younger than they were on stage. And, and it was, that was really great. It was really, you know, talking to the cast afterwards because they were very, very nice people in general. And, and, and they were, uh, I guess they, they felt, it felt nice to be able to, to just, you know, compliment them and, and see them smiling and stuff like that. So it's running through 
early April. So you may have a chance to see it if you're in the New York area. It's uh, There's a parking garage right across the street from the theater. It's on 42nd Street. It's off Broadway. Uh, it's at Theater Row is the name of the theater. So if you can go see it, go see it. It's worthwhile. That sounds great. I really would like to see it too. And actually, that's a good point. You know, I haven't been taking trains so much since pandemic times oh, yeah. and everything. So if I could drive in. Yeah, we drove in. We drove in. We had our car packed full of people. We had the, the <laughs> playwright's mother, his brother, his grandmother. It's like everybody was in the backseat. We're just, and uh, my daughter was there. And it was basically Sheridan family day at the theater. I mean, we saw um, one of one of Rich's cousins that we haven't seen God in like five years. He drove in from Long Island to uh, to come in because he moved out to Long Island. Then we never see him anymore. So he was there and that was fun. Also, if you didn't listen to episode 119, please do, because the interview with Peter is fantastic. Yes, so, it is. There you go. Thank you. I, I yes. It was one of my less awkward interviews. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so some stuff happened in the two weeks since we reported about it in the news. The Don't Say Gay bill was passed in the Florida Senate on March 8th, <sighs> so we didn't have time to kill it, sadly. And the Capitol rioter Guy Reffitt was found guilty on all charges. That's right. Last time we talked about it, we were it was pending. We didn't yeah. know what was yeah, yeah. happening. Yeah. It was so the that trial was pretty much closing arguments was when we recorded it. Um, right. Which 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 led me to realize that we should give the standard podcast disclaimer that by the time you hear this, everything could be different. Yeah. <laughs> I hear a lot of people say that because with it, you know, even if we record a day ahead only, that's that's a lot of time for things to happen. And it'll so. be like that this week this show as well. So yeah, we're gonna get into the news in a second. Remember that this news is subject to change very quickly. Yep, absolutely. So my first random fact is born in Japan in 1851 and died on July 7th, 1977, at the age of 226. Hanako is the oldest koi fish ever recorded. Her age was determined in 1966 by removing two of her scales and examining them extensively. Apparently, fish have rings on their scales like trees do. That hmm. I didn't know that either. So they, this uh, this fish was a very old fish. Wait, one, uh, two, 126, right? I can't do math right now. Oh, uh, I don't know. It was maybe the date she was born was maybe... Maybe it was 126. I don't know. I think the thing said 226, but I could. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I derailed your fact. No, it's okay. Do yours. Because 1851, 1951. Is 100 years. Yeah, 100, it's 127. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, 126. 100. Years. Anyway. Anyway. That's still a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it's an old fish. <laughs> that is an old fish. And that's, that's amazing. I love that. And it's cool that they... Knew the, the birth date. Yeah. It's weird. So. Yeah. That is random. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> and my fact of the day is that pink noise contains the same frequencies as white noise, which is 20 to 20,000 hertz. However, pink noise decreases the power density by three decibels with every rising octave. I did not know that. 
Yeah, I'm I'm interested lately in the these sort of technical differences because I I tend to like all of these mm-hmm. sort of droney noise sounds and it's kind of cool to well I mean know I think more about them I can I can understand that pink noise would be easier to deal like to listen to as a as like mm-hmm. a sound canceling background because the higher frequencies if they're too loud it could give you headaches and stuff if you're sensitive to that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh. And the third fact for today will be my last glitter fact. I'm sorry. I, I'll have to I'll have to go see if I could dig up some more, but this is the last <laughs> one. Because glitter is difficult to remove completely from an area into which it has been introduced as we all know as anyone who has ever used glitter for any purpose. We are well aware. <laughs> Um, it's, it's also known as craft herpes, I think. And because individual varieties of glitter can be distinguished under a microscope, it can serve as a useful crime scene evidence. So years Whoa. ago, the FBI contacted the company Glitterex, who is one of the two companies that make glitter, for a catalog of samples of its products so they can so they can use they can use glitter as a as a <laughs> as a way to figure out what happens. Wow. That's fascinating. I never would have thought about that, but that's that's pretty brilliant, actually. <laughs> oh my I gosh. saved the best fact for last. That's a good one. <laughs> so what's in the news? Oh yeah. Here's here's all the news we can handle. <laughs> Our first news item is going, I know this is going to be old before it goes live. Because, <laughs> so, okay, today, Monday, uh, March 21st, the nomination hearings begin for Supreme Court nominee Ketanji Brown-Jackson. And uh, I think they're going on actually right now as we're recording it, they're starting. And we don't know how long that'll take. So they they could finish it up before Wednesday, or maybe it's still going on, but I'm excited. I'm looking forward to her confirmation. Yeah. I'm optimistic about this one too. I know that there's some, you know, there's the dissent. There's always dissenters and there's sort of some, I heard one of, one of them said, She's soft on crime because she was once a public defender or something like things that yeah. are, like they're really reaching at that yeah, point. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, you would think you would think since they let the drunk rapist guy onto the Supreme Court that this is like a slam dunk, but it, nothing is ever easy, All right? So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to her being on the court too. Yeah, just keep it positive. And another thing that that in the Senate is last week they passed. The daylight savings time legislation where apparently if, I guess it also still has to pass the house, but this will be when daylight savings in 2023 goes into effect, it will never go out of effect. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is this is, this is the one, possibly the only topic that Robin and I disagree on. Well, so this is an interesting thing. I, we disagree on things, okay, mildly or by degrees. I think by sometimes, <laughs> but so this is one that I actually want to hear about why it upsets you so much. Because to me, like 
I'm fine. Like, just tell me what time it is and I'm okay. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't, the whole thing doesn't upset me. Like I think even the changing of it seemed to make you mad. Right. Well, so, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, I, I know that I feel, I feel better and somewhat sort of mentally healthier if it's later, if it's lighter, a little bit later in the day. So I look forward to daylight savings, but I wouldn't have necessarily introduced a thing to make it have to be all the time. And it doesn't bother me when it changes back and forth. It's like, you know, I'm sad when it goes away, but not really. It's just like, okay, I have to remember to change the clock, you know? So I guess I'm curious about what's more, I don't know, well, compelling about it. The, the, change, the change of the, the daylight, when, it, when we go into daylight savings time, I used to joke about like, yeah, this is really smart to give the whole country jet lag for two weeks because that's kind of what happens. And, and, and this could be because I, you know, I, I have maybe undiagnosed seasonal affective disorder. I have no idea. I really don't like waking up in the dark and I have to get up right now uh, very early, but that's only because we have a shortage of bathrooms for the number of people in the house and I'm up first, you know? So I used to, I also used to have a seven to three work schedule and I would never, even in the winter, I would never get home after dark or I would get a home after dark very rarely from work. So it's the morning. I like, I like sunrise. I like to get up right about dawn or if I get up a little after dawn is when I'm happiest. And that only happens a little bit in the summer. I like it to be light by seven. That's all, you know, I, I don't think that's unreasonable. And I think daylight savings in our area is going to make dawn be 8.30 in the morning on the solstice, on the winter solstice. That'll be the latest that the sun comes up in where we live. And it's kind of late. And I think, mm. you know, the last time they tried getting rid of going to daylight savings time all the time, I think was in the 70s and it didn't work. And, and everybody started screaming about it because kids are going to school in the dark and they didn't like that. Yeah, I, 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 when you say that, I remember that that happened, but I hadn't remembered that when I, until I read about it. It's like, oh yeah, they did do that at some point. Yeah. You know, the other thing is there's articles and I don't know that we're going to, if we've, we're going to link to them or not that show there's, there's different areas and it depends on where you, you live and where it falls in the time zone where being in daylight savings time all the time is actually much more advantageous. And that, but it's not where we are now. I think the mm -hmm. Washington Post had an interactive chart where you could pick when you want sunrise and sunset, like the latest accept or latest acceptable sunrise and earliest acceptable sunset. And you set those mm -hmm. up, and it'll tell you which of the three time keeping things is best for where you are. And New Jersey, and like this little swath of of area of the United States that included New Jersey and a bunch of New York and a little bit of New England, it was like best to leave it the way it is now, <laughs> as opposed to going either all DST all the time or EST or standard time all the time. Cause mm -hmm. some of it is better for different people. But like, yeah, if you're on the end of the time zone, you're getting up at like nine o'clock as it is, or the sun is coming up like really late. If you're on the Western edge of the time zone. Huh. It's all very confusing. Interesting. Well, 
I don't know. That's no one's no not everyone's gonna be happy no matter what they do. Like <laughs> yeah, that. it's you're not gonna this Badly. not gonna please everyone. Okay. Well <laughs> on, in other news the war is still a thing. Yeah. Um, hugely much so and there's there've been some peace talks between Russia and Ukraine and the latest thing that I've learned that happened is that Russia was one of their demands was that Ukraine would surrender Mariupol by this morning, by Monday morning that we're recording. And they refused that, which doesn't seem surprising at all. <laughs> so, you know, so that's just, I mean, I feel bad it's not, it doesn't bode well for civilians because it seems like Russia is sort of taking it off script in some way since this initial attack did not go as planned, you know. Mm -hmm. So there's been more targeting of civilians. Zelensky did an address, I believe, I guess it would have been Sunday night, said that there was a relief convoy that was headed into northeastern Ukraine that uh, was hijacked by Russian forces supposedly. I don't know if it, how this one seems to have been confirmed. I know there's some other things that were talked about that they, you know, the newspaper, this was the New York Times, I was reading it and had not gotten outside confirmation, but I believe this one was. And so they've lost contact with that convoy and lost contact with six people in it. So they're thinking that they've been detained. And I don't know. It's just, I mean, there's not good news about this no. stuff currently. One thing that is actually, Interesting is that I have a friend who is in, um, their family is in uh, Sweden right now, and their son is working with a relief campaign. He actually went to Poland mm. not that long ago to help refugees who make it over the border. And I'm going to put a link to this organization. It's called, I mean, I think it's called SOSUA. And it's like, it's just not, it's good to know of like a real person who's in a real place doing something that you know that you can contribute to yeah. that's actually doing the work, you know? And I know some people have asked about that, so I will put that there. And it's an amazingly cool and courageous thing to be doing. So Indeed, um, indeed. I'm looking forward to learning more about it too. Yeah. And then other news that you probably haven't heard of because the Ukrainian, the Russian-Ukraine war is kind of dominating all of the news cycle. So I'm always looking for other things because other things are still happening and they're important too. The U.S., the United States has declared that the Myanmar army has committed, committed genocide against the Rohingya. And the secretary, our Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, made the announcement at the Holocaust Museum yesterday. Quote, the United States has concluded genocide has been committed seven times. Today marks the eighth. I have determined that members of the Burmese military committed genocides and crimes against humanity. So I'm not sure what they're going to do now that they've decided this. I don't know if that brings other things, other processes in into play, you know, once you've declared something a genocide legally. I have no idea. But yeah, I mean, it's good. It's good to tell the truth about it. Yeah, I know this has been going on for a long time. I think that is what happens. It, it gives more, maybe more military leeway or, 
or other humanitarian, humanitarian aid. efforts yeah. as well. Yeah. By calling something what it is. And yeah. then of course it can raise the ire of the people who are committing it. Yes. Because you've said this, so that's yeah. the other side of it. But yeah. That's good to know that that's being talked about. Because you're right. I mean, I hear about it because I listen to like world politics podcasts mm -hmm. a lot. But <laughs> a lot of people don't yeah. even know. Yeah. You know. I, I wasn't aware of it until I saw that. I also had to I, I had to go look up how to pronounce Rohingya. I'm looking at it and going, is that hard G or a soft G? So yeah, and I've heard it the other way too, Rohingya. I hear often. So no, I, I well, that's what probably when I looked, I looked it, it up. I looked <laughs> before Good. I because I knew I was going to have to say it. <laughs> I know right. I was like screwing up people's names last time, so I don't like doing that. I like to pronounce things properly. Yes, exactly. Like, you know, we had to learn how to say Kiev, you know, and, and <laughs> yeah. Well, that was just a learning curve because we grew up saying it the Soviet way. So. Yeah. Well, I, I that's my my thing with that. It's like it's it's like Nolans, you know. It's the local. That's what people say locally who live yep. there. So we're you know we have to speak it with a Ukrainian accent. Nice, nice, nice. This is an interesting one. So the Janu January 6th committee who is researching, who are researching what happened at the insurrection at the Capitol are, you know, still doing their work and coming up with new stuff all the time and video evidence of people planning, which is kind of amazing that people actually video. I think some, some of them really thought that there, it was such a, uh, such a world changing positive thing they were doing. <laughs> That they actually videoed themselves like doing the planning of it. So, so I'm going to, it's going to be very interesting to come out and uh, to hear some of what comes out of that. But one of the things that I found kind of cool and well, I don't know if it's cool. It's just a thing <laughs> that the committee is working on creating a compelling nav na uh, narrative. So they're like, they've got like writers and they're trying to find like the most, you know, sort of, uh, video that is the most compelling for people and everything in order to tell the story to the people. Mm. And I think what it is, it's like in the wake of the Mueller report, like that was like just, just a huge two volumes thing that like mostly nobody read and was very uh, pithy and hard to, hard to parse even like some of the sentences in it because it was just very not <laughs> geared to the general public. And then, of course, it got lied about, and then people didn't know what was actually in it at all, and never really found out, which was really yeah. frustrating. So they're trying to make a, a equivocation. So they're trying to make a compelling story, make a story out of what really happened, so that people see it in as well as like the the people in the committee. So um, it, it's I I understand why they're doing this because there's so much yeah. disinformation that's presented in the same way that mm -hmm. they want to make something that is digestible by the public that is true that they can use to combat the lies and the disinformation that everybody's putting out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think this is, this is good. And I'm always interested in hearing the latest that they've got coming out because there's just more and more mm. evidence yeah. about people closer and closer to the top all the time you know so yeah i mean they they i i am i am you know waiting for the legally required purge of government elected officials that need to be purged from the the congress for example mm. 
you know, mm-hmm. they need to, they need to be, you know, they're not supposed to be in there. There's, it's violating an actual, a thing in the constitution. Anyway, um, our yeah. final news story is that a sheep found wandering on an Australian mountain was relieved of a great weight when his first shearing in at least six years removed 88 pounds of fleece. That's like a random fact. It, news it, story. it is. It is. I, I was looking for something that wasn't like horribly depressing. So <laughs> exactly. So, we need to lighten it up a bit. So a hiker in Australia found this poor belabored sheep that was just covered in wool. You know, just his fleece was so huge and, and it was giving the poor guy trouble walking and stuff like that. So they, so he alerted like animal rescue groups and, and a group rescued the sheep. And when they sheared it, they got 88 pounds of wool off of him. And, and the sheep has brightened up like almost instantly. They were saying um, you could see his eyes becoming brighter just with the weight off of his body. So, wow. and this, see, I didn't even know they were capable of growing that much, but it makes sense if they're bred to, yeah. Wool, basically. yeah, these are these are domestic sheep that have been bred for hundreds of years to produce wool. And the and this guy escaped his pen, you know, as a young sheep and just ran off and they, they didn't find him for a while. And and the sheep need to be sheared yearly or they they suffer. So, yeah, yeah. Interesting news. Yeah, I think that's, that's all I can handle. Yeah, that's all we're handling. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by conspiracy of the month have you grown bored or complacent with the quality of conspiracy theories being shared on social media have you thought about floating some theories of your own but don't know where to start well we have the monthly subscription box for you Conspiracy of the Month will send you a curated box chock full of deepfake video clips, pre-written tweets, and hashtags that would make any Russian troll farm green with envy. Share with your friends, enemies, frenemies, and soon-to-be estranged family members. Sign up for your monthly subscription box by leaving a bag of cash in Locker 2016 at the Port Authority bus station in Manhattan. And now, back to our podcast. Why is this Well, this is Why Is This Awesome? And I really like this segment. And this is when Wendy and I, uh, one of us, share something that we think is awesome. And in this case, uh, we have something that we both think is awesome, and that yeah. is Wordle. Yeah. The the game that uh, has taken the country by storm. <laughs> it really has. <laughs> Enough that the New York Times bought the bought it like two weeks ago, I think, right? Something like that. Oh, it's been a while now, I think. And, and uh, three weeks, maybe. Yeah, uh, longer. But I, I don't know. Okay. I, I, I'm lost in the fog of Wordle games <laughs> and, and their offshoots. <laughs> but uh, I, I would say it's taken the world because I've, uh, I communicate often with someone in Australia who's doing it. And I'm always jealous because he gets it like 15 <laughs> hours earlier than I do. <laughs> <laughs> You but, gotta be careful. He'll spoil. Get spoilers from them. <laughs> yeah. No. No. Everybody's really. I think most people are really good about that. That's interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah. Should we but, should explain what it is to the five people that may not know what it is? Sure. I think there are there's still some. There's some who are resistant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Wordle is a word game where you have it's a five letter word that you have to guess, and I believe you have six tries to yes. get it. So you you put in a word, you know, and you'll it will light up squares to tell you like either. If it's like stays gray or black, that means like it's not no, none word. of the letter. The letter's not in the word. If it's green, it means it's it's there and it's in the correct position. And if it's yellow, it means it's in the word, but it's in somewhere the, it's else. in the wrong place. Right. Yes. So it it's, belongs it's, somewhere else. I love this game because it is like like the perfect storm between word games and logic puzzles. Yes. It's exactly. Got, it hits it hits I guess both sides of the brain. If you think about it, because your word, your vocabulary has got to be a right brain thing, because that's on like the creative side mm -hmm. and the logic stuff is a left brain thing. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of using, you know, your both hemispheres at the same time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's true. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, like your knowledge of the English language, not just like speech or whatever but it's like okay, right how, how what, what what letters really go together and when when are you never gonna you know you can eliminate things by knowing well this letter's never gonna follow that letter you know that kind of stuff yeah. you know and it's pretty cool and every and people have their different strategies like i believe you pick that you have an opening word that you like to i use. do i yeah. do have an opening word that i like to a lot of people have opening words that they like to use and i i use my daughter's name because it's not an illegal word apparently it lets me use it and it and, and her name has three vowels in it which mm -hmm. you want to get you want the strategy is you want to kind of go through the vowels as fast as possible to to see which ones are in the word and which ones aren't mm -hmm. and my mother taught me when i was a child about edwin Sherdlu, which is e a t o i n s h r d l u and that is Letter frequency from most frequent to lesser frequent were letter usage in words in the English language. I had never heard that until you said it. that's so cool. So is that all all letters? Wait, no, it it's not all of it's the not letters. All, it's the main. It's not. It's not all of the letters. Edwin Sherdlu okay. is the Edwin mnemonic. Edwin Okay. E a t o i n s h r d l u. Right. So it's the most common. So you know that name and the other the second i have two words that i use that go get me through all the vowels and a bunch of the letters that are very common so i can eliminate them or get them in the word very quickly sadly this means like the best score i can usually hope for is 3 so hmm. i mean unless unless i'm hitting a bunch of letters in the first one and then i might skip the second my second one but uh, then I get, then it takes me, it could take me a while because I'm a, like my, I don't know about you, but when I get everything, but the first letter of the, of the, of the five, mm -hmm. that's when I'm a day, that's when it's dangerous. And I, I might not make it in the six tries, six guesses. Oh, wait. So if you get everyone all the, wait, say it again. If, if you get I, all if the I letters? don't have the first letter of the word and I oh. have the other four. Got it. Got it. You know, because because there's like 17 possible words it could be, and I'm I'm not thinking of like an obvious one. 
Yes. I, I, you know, and, and I'll come up with like an obscure one before I come up with the more common ones. And I do the same thing. Like today's <laughs> word was, is, was such a common word that it took me longer than it should have. I think you got it faster because I did. I, I got saw this your, three. I saw your thing. And I said, since I know your opening word, I saw like, uh, <laughs> you lucked out on that. <laughs> one. But for me, yeah, it took me a little bit, but it, but it was, I you feel ridiculous when you get it. Cause it's like, wait, this is yeah. like such a normal word that you don't think of it, you know? Yeah. So, so that's kind of an interesting thing. So I like to, I choose words that have, you know, a couple of vowels usually. And, and just, you know, I think about that common thing too, but I like to change it up a little bit. Okay. Because it gets, I don't know, it's, it's an interesting, you know, so words like, um, I, I was actually watching a video about a, a guy who was like doing this all by mathematics and finding like the, the best strategies for Wordle by math, basically. <laughs> and he came up the, with the, the best opening word was crane. Okay. And he had a lot of stuff based on that. But then... Um, Spell crane. because C-R-A-N-E. That's... But... Okay. But then modified it and came up with like a more... I can't remember what the word was, but it was a more obscure kind of like a Scrabble word that no one really uses, you know. <laughs> but it had a lot of vowels. And... Yeah, that just, his, his method was, obviously, you don't actually do Wordle this way, but it was just as an analysis of it. Okay. That, so this is like getting into the geek scheme. <laughs> <laughs> like based on what what the most common letters are and then how many possible combinations, like if if this has this letter in it, what are the other combinations after that that are possible? So it's like mm. by, it's like process of elimination by mathematics. And it was it was interesting to to see, you know, but obviously in the moment that's not really how you're doing it, you know. But I like <laughs> words like yeah, a crate, train, okay. uh different things, you know, but uh, but I'll mix it up and sometimes you get lucky and you get a bunch really quickly and yeah, uh, well, even- not even if I mean there've been there've been a couple of of wor- wordle days where my first two words that use up all my vowels I think I got no hits. Mm-hmm. None of the letters were in it. And then you would think that would be challenging but then you have to realize like okay that ha- that means there has to be a y in there. Yes. <laughs> Eliminating so, the elimination of letters is a, as much of a help as getting them. I mean, yes, getting them is yes, obviously yes. the first best thing but then it's like okay then, then you can see what's left, you know. So that actually leads me to there's a couple, there's a lot of offshoots of this game. In fact, it's like exploded into all different things. So one <laughs> of them, usually in this order, I do, I do swearedle, and then I do loodle, <laughs> and then I do wordle, and then I might do some other things. But so swearedle is, it's a you have to guess the four letter word, and it's only four <laughs> guesses. So to me, that's the hardest one in one sense, because it's like, you don't, you, you can still be guessing if you just have only four letters yeah, and you don't get anything. Well, know? they're only swear words. So your, your pool of what, what they could be is more limited, right? Or not? Yes. I think it was, it's a little expanded. It's not like only the seven dirty words. Cause you, that would be ridiculous, <laughs> but, but the well, yeah. things that are things that are, you know, naughty in some way or whatever, or, or actual curse words. So it's like, yeah, so you do, <laughs> you're just like, uh, fuck, no. Okay, uh, piss? Oh, okay, the one that, uh, jizz, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's just like, it's really funny. So sometimes I get that, sometimes you just don't even, 
you're just sorry it was this. I was like, okay, I didn't even get to that universe, you know. But then Loodle is funny. That is, yeah, it's like a naughty word or whatever. It was five letters. Now they also have six letter words, which makes it a lot like surprisingly harder. Oh yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, but I downloaded an app for my iPad, which I believe is called Wordlet or something like that. It's like okay. Wordle with a T on the end, and it does not. It gives you the option of five, six, or seven letters. Wow. I tried it on six, but you also have infinite guesses. It doesn't okay. cut you off at six, which when I got, when I wanted to do, when Wordle only lets you do one a day, and I'm like, I want to do more of them. So I open up the app and I play a bunch more, like for three hours. Okay. <laughs> I'm just sitting there in the kitchen with like cold coffee going through this, doing this, which actually helped me with my strategy with Wordle because I could you know, practice. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a cool thing. But then I tried six letters and like, holy shit, it got like exponentially harder. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I get, I <laughs> managed to get them. I think I probably didn't get one or two of the ones since I started with six letters for Loodle. But <laughs> so the, my strategy for that one is to put it on sheltered mode, because if okay. you don't put it on sheltered, if you don't put it on sheltered mode, you have to only guess the lewd words that they have in their dictionary. Oh. And I noticed that sometimes I would pick something that I thought had like a lewd connotation that they didn't accept, you know? Huh. So I put it on sheltered mode so you could play any word and that can help you with just general strategy. But, but also, you know, it, it, for, yeah, for example, like I think I mentioned like the word train <laughs> it has a lewd meaning too. So yeah, they does. didn't accept it at first. So I, I like, using that word um as a starter you know or whatever and it's it's interesting you know and then if you get it right they give you like some co funny comment like oh you potty mouth or whatever you know <laughs> and um and it's been entertaining for me to some to try to find a word that i could use as my opener for both loodle and wordle <laughs> And so that actually worked out, like train is a good one, you know, but actually worked out incredibly well one day because I, I think one of the only times I ever got it in two, mm. because I think I started Loodle with handy. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, I'll use handy for, for Wordle. And it turned out it was like, I forget what the word was, but it was like two, two letters off. Like I had three oh, letters wow. right away. And I was okay. like, whoa, really? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it was kind of a, uh, kind of a pleasant surprise. So that's cool. Did yeah. you, have you tried Quartal? I love, that's actually my favorite of all these games. Which is trying to do Quartal is where you're doing four Wordle puzzles simultaneously. Yes. And it gives you nine, nine guesses. Total. Yep. I yeah, think it's nine. I, yep. Mm -hmm. I, I think I, the first time I tried it, I did not, I got like three of them and I couldn't get the fourth and I, you know, it was, it's, it's a lot harder and I don't know that I do those, but what I have started doing since the New York times bought Wordle, even though right now you can play it for free, but I also subscribe to their crossword puzzles. Cool. And this actually got me back into doing the crossword puzzles again, because I had put it off. I had kind of stopped like halfway through the pandemic so i had a year's worth of archived crossword puzzles that i can still do i did all the mondays they're the easiest new york times crosswords sundays is the hardest and mondays is the easiest and they get progressively harder during the week 
And, and like, I think Thursday, sometimes they'll have like a trick where you have to put in multiple words and one letters in one square and things like that, where they leave something out and you have to kind of guess they get, a, there was weird tricks to some of them, but they have another thing now that one of my friends on Facebook was doing. And then I, I found where it was on the New York times app and it's called spelling bee. And you have seven letters where they're arranged in a circle, like in little hexagons. And the seventh letter is, is in the middle and every word has to have that letter in it. And I am doing that one now. And I think that's helping my other things just because it's making me think about words. You know, I'm coming up, you know, it's reminding me of more obscure words in my vocabulary for, you know, like today, the, the letter that we had to put in every word was V. So, okay. and I, and there's a lot, there's a lot more than you kind of think, oh, they, they, you know, but they also only can, can only can use the, the five letters around it, mm-hmm, which sometimes are like a weird batch of letters and you're going, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's cool. I li- see. I think you bring up a good point that I think these kinds of puzzles actually, you know, it seems like you're frittering away your time or something, but I think it really does uh, stimulate the brain and it makes you think about things in different ways. It's like, it's a creativity stimulator in a, in yeah. a lot of ways, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, as you're getting older, you're supposed to keep thinking, using your brain. It's like, use it or lose it. Like with your muscles, you need to exercise every day. You know, you need to exercise all of your things, all of your body. Your brain is also needs exercise. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. so with, with Quirtle, I think <laughs> my, I was just going to say, I, I, I do really like this puzzle. And, I think that the, the thing about it for me is that you don't want to hyper focus on one of the words. Like when you when you if you get a few on one of them and you're opening, like work on it for two or three and try it. If you can solve it in three, that would be awesome. But if I wouldn't go past like four and still get, try to keep working on that same one, then you have to look and see like okay, maybe there's a word that I could play that would give me information about two or more of them even mm. if even if you know that a certain letter isn't in one of them or something like that yeah but by playing a word that has both letters that are in each of them you might get more information about the placement of one or something like that mm-hmm. um that's kind of how i've been doing it and the other thing i i do is walk away from it like i don't <laughs> do that one-on-one shot like i'm like okay i'm not i'm missing something on this one part i'm gonna not look at it for a minute I'll go do something else and I'll come back to it. And then it, it clicks. It's kind of interesting when you come back with like a new perspective. It's oh, yeah. uh, helpful. Yeah. You know, yeah. how about yeah, I, mean, I, oh. I haven't heard of that one. Okay. Oh, oh, the music one. Yeah. The, music the, first, one. the first day I got it instantly because it was a, um, a Fleetwood Mac song. <sighs> now I would have known that one. That makes me. Yeah. Mad. I mean, it was like, it one. was like, all it was, was a drum, a drum thing and a uh, that was it. It was like, you know, the 10th of a second. That's like, oh, I know what that song is. What song was it? It was, um, <laughs> I forget the title. I had to look it up. I knew, I knew it's dreamers always, r- thunder always happens when it's raining. It's that oh, one. Dreams. Yeah. Dreams. Yes. Dreams. Okay. It was dreams. I, I couldn't remember the name of the song. <laughs> it's like, right. I'm singing it in my head. And I just, I don't know. Remember. But right, right. everyone since then has been more modern. Mm-hmm. You know, so I haven't, I haven't been playing it because I don't have, 
I mean, I can, I used to be able to do name that tune, but I haven't really, I don't listen to pop music really. And mm -hmm. so it's like, ah, I have no clue. Hit or miss. Yeah. 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 I need to hear the hook for those, you know, not, not like just the opening things. It's like, yeah. So I tried it and then I gave it up. There's another one, a uh, global or global. I don't know even how it's, it's where you, they give you the out, basically the silhouette of the country. Oh, okay. And you have to f tell them what country it is. And you have like five guesses. That some of sounds good. And, and it maybe would be terribly they, hard for me, but like Americans need to brush yeah. up on our geography. So well, I, you know, they, I think learn. they kind of tell you what continent it's on. I think you can get a hint about that, okay. you know, and, and there was the first one I tried was South America and I never got it. it and, he, and I kind of, I, I even cheated and I was like looking at a fucking map and going, I, I didn't get it. So I don't, oh, wow. I don't know. I have one of my, one of the people I follow on Facebook is playing that every day uh, along with, she was, does Wordle and Global. And I think there's actually two different map ones. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not as good with that. I, and I also, you know, I also really, I really need to learn geography and the names of countries. It's, you know, when we, it's the last time I, re I had a globe, it had, you know, USSR on it. Yeah, so, right. And and Africa, and Africa was a very different place too, because it was you know the the people were still naming the countries after what the Europeans who colonized them named the country, mm -hmm. you know, and not you know I don't think Zimbabwe was on the map. It was oh, something wow. else. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I said, it was like <laughs> it was like the <laughs> Belgian Congo or something. You know, that would actually be interesting just historically to see that because there are probably names that I don't. Oh yeah. No. Well, that it, that was that From was the that thing time. that was we, that was at my parents' house, and when I put it out for the garbage men to t to take, the oh. one of the neighbors grabbed it. It was <laughs> they saw the the pile of trash before we would take stuff to the dump, and they would just go through things and take all the stuff. Yeah, I it think that's very worth funny. It. I'm glad somebody just yeah just out of you know a curiosity kind of yeah thing, out of know. date globes yeah <laughs> right. <laughs> well, this is cool. That's uh. I'm I'm happy to rediscover puzzles because that's just not a thing I had done in a long time and I, yeah. I dig it. So Yeah, yeah. You guys should tell us tell us your wordle stories. <laughs> right. <laughs> and people who play will be glad to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I annoy I annoy my face. It's like I have the I, I do them like it like when I'm on the black <laughs> usually I do it when I'm on the toilet first thing in the morning. So it's like five thirty AM and I post about it on Facebook and then everyone I all of my friends who are playing will post theirs under mine. So hopefully I'm aggregating all the wordle posts so <laughs> we're not annoying all our friends. Why is this Good whatever time of the day you are hearing this, I am 89 the brainchild, songwriter, performer, entertainer, stage production manager in some days, and you are listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. I'm really happy to be here with Tanya Schaefer. Tanya Schaefer is an award-winning playwright and author of the acclaimed travel memoir, Somebody's Heart is Burning, A Woman Wanderer in Africa. 
Her stories and essays have appeared on Salon.com and in more than a dozen anthologies. She blogs on a range of topics from parenting to Buddhism to creativity to travel and hosts the podcast Off-Leash Arts, Conversations on Creativity. Currently based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, she leads writing workshops in a practice she calls Off-Leash Writing, which sounds fantastic. And I believe you are out on the West Coast now teaching a workshop. Is that right? Uh, I'm actually on a personal writing retreat right now, and I'm in Arizona at the moment. Okay, that's good. Gathering your own your own stuff. Right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> wonderful. Wonderful. That's great. So do you have any bit of writing you'd like to share with us today? Okay. So this is, this is a recent blog post I wrote called the silver revolution. When I was in preschool, I asked my mom how old she was over 21. She said, intrigued by the mystery. I kept asking, but no matter how many times I repeated the question, that was all the answer I could get. Finally, when I was six, she told me she was 40. I had no idea why this was such a big secret, but I felt very grown up to be entrusted with it. Almost three decades later, I was interviewed by the San Francisco Chronicle about my solo show, Let My Enemy Live Long, which was playing at the Berkeley Repertory Theater. The article revealed that I was 33 years old. When I showed it to R, a fellow solo performer who was about to launch her own show off-Broadway, she responded with horror. Never tell a reporter your age. Why not? I started to ask, but her look stopped me cold. Did she really have to tell me about our culture's obsession with youth and beauty? Obviously, a woman in our industry had everything to lose by revealing her age. Mm, that is... Yeah, that, that speaks to a lot of a lot of our anxieties. And, and I guess for you, you decided to keep telling the truth. Or I at, did. at least, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I never hid it, but the piece goes, it sort of uses, I mean, I was coloring my hair up until about a year ago, um, but I also hadn't been, hadn't been acting. Um, but yeah, it just sort of, a, I use the, the conversation about the hair, as you can see, is kind of a window into how women are judged for their age, how differently women's age is perceived than men's in our society, and also linking it just to our general cultural fear of mortality and, you know, our terror about growing older and our attempt to deny the fact that we're going to die. Mm, that's heavy stuff but yeah. important stuff. So thank you for sharing that. So a lot of time when we talk about freedom and in conjunction with creativity, we're talking about freedoms that are bestowed on us by our communities or by our governments, like regarding what we can and can't do. Mm-hmm. And in the way I, I understand that you teach writing and, and practice writing, I, I'm assuming, I want to hear more about that. Is it all about getting past what someone else thinks like what what are what are a couple of the principles of the way that you teach creativity i think that is the first step is to kind of outrun your inner critics yes and to clear kind of an open space where you can explore and discover without fear of anyone's judgment including primarily starting with your own that's the way i work and i I feel like, like a lot of writers, I always have to get past my own inner blocks to really get going 
you know, any voice that's there that is worried about the product gets in the way of the process when I'm starting a new project. Later, there's a to totally a place for that. There's a place for bringing in your critical faculties when you're trying to turn something into a finished work. But I think that to create, you initially just have to have a wide open playing field where you're not worried about any ideas of good and wrong, but where you're just sort of an open channel for exploring. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. How did you arrive at that? I, I, I guess you call it, do you call your workshops off-leash writing? Is that sort of a process or is it just the, the name of your... Yeah, that's what I call my, call my writing workshop, mm -hmm. off-leash writing. Uh -huh. I mean, I'm part of a tradition, you know, that probably goes way back and has a lot of different names. I would say I first encountered the kind of process that I use when I read Natalie Goldberg's book, Writing Down the Bones, probably about 30 oh, yeah. years ago. You know, she says, give me this moment. You know, you just sit down with your notebook and put everything aside and just give me this moment. Start here, start now, just write. And, you know, so I've been practicing that in some way for, for yeah, 30 some years. And then I trained with a teacher in the San Francisco Bay Area named Lori Wagner, who calls the, her practice wild writing. And I took some of her workshops and enjoyed them, did a teacher training with her, and then started doing these workshops, kind of my own spin on it about four years ago. Wonderful. Can you give a little taste of that? Like, how do you get to that starting point? You know, are, are there particular, I, I'm sure you do have like tricks of the trade or, or whatever, but sometimes I feel like I, I, it's just behind a wall, you know, and how do you get yeah. to just even that first little crack, you know? Well, for myself, the time factor, doing a timed writing actually often helps me. So let's say I'm working on a play and I know I have a deadline and there is an expectation sometimes that expectation will stop me. And I have to trick myself saying like, okay, you know, here are the two characters, here's the scene. I'm gonna write for 15 minutes without stopping. No one ever has to see what I write. I give myself permission for this to be the absolute worst crap to ever hit a page. But for 15 minutes, I'm gonna do it and I'm not gonna stop. Even if I write the words blah, blah, blah on the page. Like that's the conversation I might have and then go. You know, and and the and the trick is to keep the hands moving, not to stop, to just allow whatever it is, no matter how bad. And usually by the end of 15 minutes, I'm going. I've hit something and I'm following it. I'm following the current. And often if I have a stretch of several hours and I feel too daunted by that stretch, I will continue to set a 15 minute timer over and over again. Because sometimes once I've completed the, that first 15 minutes has gone and I'm like, oh, I gotta keep going for two hours. Okay, no, I don't. 15 more minutes, go, keep going, just keep following. And, and I will do that trick with myself. And that's, we do it in timed bursts in my workshops as well with prompts. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. So what do you think scares people the most and keeps people from getting to that place of flow? That's a great question. I mean, I think people are very afraid of failure, right? They are afraid of doing something badly. 
of looking bad, of embarrassing themselves in some way. I think perfectionism is a huge barrier, like this sense that if if I if it doesn't come out perfectly, then it's something to be ashamed of or so you know I think people we we have a lot of voices in our head when it comes to writing and we have maybe ideas of product, you know, and I think if you if you expect to pour out a finished product, you know, on the first draft, that's a problem because then every word you get, it's like some, I, I see the way writers are portrayed in, in movies or TV. And I often am like, that is so, to me, it seems not real, but you'll see a person sit there and type a line, sort of like Snoopy, right? In the Charlie Brown cartoons. Oh, right. It was a dark and stormy night. And then he'll rip the page out ball it up, throw it away, start again. It was a dark and stormy night. I mean, that is never my experience. I think that's only your experience if you think you have to pour out a finished product. You know, If you tell yourself it can be crap, then what's to stop you from writing? You know, Right, and then you just keep going on the page and eventually you'll find the line that, that's the right first line, I would assume, yeah. Exactly, I mean, writing is rewriting, you know, it's kind of a cliche, but it's really true. I mean, there's another saying, and I don't know where it comes from, but it's one I hold dear. You can fix anything but a blank page, <laughs> you know? So just get a draft, get a crappy first draft. Perfectionism is that barrier to your crappy first draft. <laughs> right. Yes, actually, that, yeah, that's, I can attest to that. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Do do you remember a time when you felt stuck around your creativity and what was what was at the root of that for you? That's a great question. I mean, I I I frequently feel stuck. You know, I feel stuck sort of every other day. <laughs> and yet I I use these techniques every time to kind of unstick myself, but even like I'm on this writing retreat and I had a number of goals, a number of different projects. One of them is a blog post I'm trying to write about, about my dogs. <laughs> I've named my business, you know, I, I called it Off Leash Writing because when I was trying to think of the right name for my workshops, my younger son said it has to have something to do with puppies. And immediately Off Leash <laughs> came to me because I think of of the joy, you know, and the freedom and the wildness they they experience anytime you you let them off leash and how they're just so purely following their nose, following their intuition, going where it leads them. So that's the the essence of what I what I conjure with that name. Um, but trying to write about them, I was having the same thing where anything I would write felt like a cliche, like what can you possibly say about dogs that hasn't been said, you know, and so I, every day, even just today, when I tried to work on it, I was having those voices and I had to do these same techniques of just setting a timer and just like, I'm just gonna, I, I mean, we luckily we have the freedom with computers. We can write as much as we want and throw it all away. It was, if, if you were typing on a typewriter and you had paper, you know, I can see how that would be a barrier, but I'm just gonna, you know, write every single thing that comes into my head about them. You know, and so anytime I'm thinking product as opposed to free writing, I get a little bit of that and I have to work with it. It's just a, um, but I, I try to have 
a more positive relationship with my muse than I had when I was younger, where it would be so anguished and agonizing. I um, I, I've been interviewing people about creativity for my podcast, Off Leash Arts, and one of the people I interviewed was a singer-songwriter, Noe Venable. And I really related when she talked about changing her relationship to her muse, like how she had thought for years that 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 writing a song had to be this soul grinding process of misery. And at some point she started viewing it differently and trying to kind of flirt with the muse and dance with the muse and toy with the muse. And that just gave me a lot of new images that I've been trying to work with when I go away and do these retreats, just trying to think of it as reminding myself it's fun. It doesn't have to be hard. It really doesn't. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was listening to uh, some of your podcasts today and it's, it is really nice to listen to like a variety of just different artists just tell their stories, you know? So that was definitely, definitely recommend it. <laughs> it was good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I learned so much from every single person I interview. I think that's half of why I do it. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me about your, your travels. Um, I, you know, it really it seems like traveling is like a very physical manifestation of finding like a free spirit kind of a thing. It 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 gives you this like romantic picture of going away and writing or going away and just exploring, physically moving and not staying in one place. You know, how has that had how has that had an impact on your work? Well. I mean, I love to travel. And when I was younger, before I had kids, I really traveled a lot. And I really most loved to travel, you know, in places where you didn't see a lot of other travelers, where I could really just sink into another culture and see, you know, other ways of being, other ways of living, you know, what else was possible. And, and I did a lot of travel writing. That had to change somewhat when I had kids, which is now about, you know, well, my older son's 18. So a long time ago, um, I still travel, but not in the way I did. I had discovered when I was young, when I was in college, I discovered that I loved solo travel, like best of all. And I discovered that when a, a friend of mine was supposed to go to Europe with me, we were doing a volunteer project together and get to travel together. And she bailed at the last minute uh, saying she had to work, she didn't have the money. And so I ended up doing it by myself. And that was when I discovered how much I loved doing it by myself. Partly my notebook would become my best friend. I just write everything down all the time. I also just loved that freedom of being able to just let impulse guide me, let it carry me. I never planned ahead. You know, I would, <laughs> I mean, I did if I was doing work, but often I would just, I'd get on a train or a bus. People would invite me to their homes. I was reckless with that, you know, fearlessness of youth. And that was amazing. And it's true. I never felt more free. And it definitely inspired my writing because when you're in a place where everything is new, your senses are so awake. You know, you're, you're just so attuned to everything. And I try to hold that within me and bring that level of awakeness and aliveness to my daily life wherever I am. But it's harder for sure. But yeah, I kind of hold that freedom within me somewhere and try to access it. So Somebody's Heart is Burning, I believe, is your book on your travels in Kenya, Mali, and Ghana. What was that like? What, what did you learn there and experience there? Oh my gosh, I learned so much. So most of the time was in West Africa, although I actually, the book uh, starts in Morocco 
And then I, I went uh, down to Ghana. I think of down, so south over the Sahara. Mm-hmm. And then just the, so most, I, I worked as a volunteer in Ghana and then traveled through Mali and then was in, in Kenya and Tanzania for just the very last part. Okay. I learned so much. It's hard to, it's hard to encapsulate and it was a long time ago. So that book came out in 2003, which was the same year my first child came out. So I like to think of that as my most productive <laughs> year ever. <laughs> a book and a baby, same year. I definitely learned a different way of being in the world. And I learned a lot about presence and a lot about generosity in many ways. Time definitely worked differently there. I had experienced it to some extent in Latin America. I think it's maybe a thing of hot countries that people just are not in a hurry the way they are here. And in Ghana, if you would wait for a bus to leave at that time, you know, this was a long time ago, but it might leave in an hour, it might leave in a day, it's going to leave when it's full, you know, and if you're in a hurry, and you're anxious, you're going to suffer. So you kind of learn that when you're waiting for the bus, you are where you are, you're having an experience, you know, you don't have to lean forward into the future and be every minute like when the hell is this bus going to leave, you can just be where you are, you can have some food, you can hang out, you can chat with the other people. So I just learned a lot about that kind of presence. And then I found people there to be very exuberant, very curious, very generous to me. (laughs) You know, and often as I had found in other parts of the world where I traveled, I found the poorest people to be the most generous, right? Like the people having the least being the most willing to share and open-hearted in ways we wouldn't be here. Now, of course, no place is perfect. You know, I'm not gonna romanticize the challenges of people's lives, but that was my experience and I was very grateful for it. Mm -hmm. So that book, I'm imagining it's on Amazon and everywhere you find books. Right? Yes, so, yes. <laughs> and we'll definitely have a link to it on our on our site as well. Thanks. So if you wanted to leave sort of a nugget of knowledge on all of this for people who are either new to writing or, or getting back to writing or getting getting back to their creative source, what what would you like to impart to listeners on their creative process? I would encourage people to trust what's coming through them, to learn to trust their authentic voice, to write the same way they speak, you know? Don't sit down to write thinking this, you know, if you're writing in a creative way, if you're gonna tell your story, release any idea of like the shape of an essay. Think of the way you tell a story to a friend and just connect, you know, that brain wave to your hand and write it down just the way you would tell it because that's where we learn to tell stories i mean when i when i was working on the book part of what i i i learned about the storytelling was the stories i found myself telling people the most often would be the ones that would be in the book and we naturally tell stories in a satisfying shape. You know, we know how to do this. We all know how to do this. We tell stories all the time. And we think when we sit down to write that it's something different, but it's not, you know, and your voice, every person's voice is uniquely yours. Like it's going to be a mix of, you know, where you grew up, who your parents were, who your influences were, where you went to school, your life experience. You're going to bring all of that 
And, and that's, that's your gift. So you don't need to try to be anything other than you are. I really feel that people coming to the writing table, you know, with an idea that written language should be different. That's what's getting in their way. Like trust the words coming through you. Don't work. Don't reach for a better word. If you hear the word, you know, I don't know, you know, <laughs> crap a palooza, write that on the page or whatever it is, you know, that's what right. interest is. <laughs> Well, that's good advice. I like that word. <laughs> I might use that sometime. My dad used to say schmoogalapucci. That was his word for like, if you'd say, well, can I call this this? He'd be like, you can call it schmoogalapucci. You know. <laughs> that's good. Well, thank you so much uh, for sharing your thoughts and good luck on the rest of your writing retreat. Um, I hope you. it's productive and I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You got questions? We got answers. And today's question is from Dominic Poon. And he asks, I'm going to ask this question the way I kind of see it in my head. Like, pretend we're all at a, at a Seder and it's the uh, question period. Why do we eat ham and turkey for both Thanksgiving and Christmas? <laughs> These two holidays are so different in nature and so close together, I'd imagine that an entire differently meals are called for. So that's his question. Hmm. That's interesting. And I don't know the answer for why. You know, it's like, yeah, that's like a history question in a way. Yeah. I mean, we're going to, we're going to, conjecture here i mean neither of us are speaking from any real research <laughs> i'm not even sure that i knew that people ate oh guess christmas ham yeah yeah i but well ham was never on the menu for me because i was raised not eating pork products except for bacon it's like bacon gets the pass it, <laughs> i never knew that people who are otherwise kosher I, I have no idea. It's just we, didn't, is a, we not, did not, not really make pork except for bacon. I mean, bacon, I think we had, we definitely had bacon at my house because huh. we, you know, we, we weren't kosher, but we just right, didn't right. cook pork because we didn't. It, it was not something we liked. And I, and I'm assuming that's because we know, you know, since trying to keep kosher, you never would learn how to cook it. Right. Right. You know, but bacon is just, you put it in the frying pan and it's done. <laughs> And it's, you know, delicious. But, you know, my in-laws would make turkey for Thanksgiving and ham for Christmas. They didn't make ham for Thanksgiving. And it's also kind of interesting to talk about this now because Easter is coming up and turkey and ham are kind of on the menu for that as well. And that's where I'm judging making, that's what's making me come out with what I'm about to say. And I think it's because both turkey and ham are very large hunks of meat and you're feeding a lot of people and you don't want to cook, you know, it, it's not like a barbecue where you're cooking, you know, 700 hamburgers or something like that. It, it's, you're making one thing that'll feed everybody all at once. That's probably the, the and turkey and ham fit the bill for that. That's kind of, uh, that's, and it turned into a regular thing because you know it's available 
and they and and it, it's one of these self-fulfilling prophecies kind of thing because the the food producers know that you know at thanksgiving and at easter everybody's going to be making turkey or ham so they arrange it so there's a lot of turkey and ham available to be bought at the store oh yeah all the holidays they definitely stock up on the thing that people are gonna yeah. want you know but so this is interesting. I think this must really be specific to like different family traditions because to me, I, th- I would never think of ham at Thanksgiving. I would think yeah, turkey me for sure. Yeah. And I always thought that the thing that I thought was odd about our family was that we had basically identical dinners for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I always felt like people were doing Thanksgiving one way and then they would do the Christmas ham or some other mm-hmm. thing. And so ours was exactly, so I'm trying to think the difference would be, I think, well, we'd, we'd have eggnog and things more at Christmas, and there's something else that would be different, which I'm not actually remembering right now, but <laughs> basically, basically identical, you know, and I think it was mostly in my family, because that's what my mom liked, and that's what we had, and it was well, yeah, what it was, you know, but but today, I mean, I have vegan things so <laughs> well, yeah it's it's not the same i mean for me right. when i growing up we didn't do christmas because we were jewish right. and right. hanukkah you know you make latkes is mm-hmm. that, that that's and that's also hanukkah is a week long eight days long so you you can't have like these big feasts every night but you make special food for that so we did the turkey at, at Thanksgiving. And then, you know, once I married into an Irish Catholic family, the Christmas dinner, I mean, we went to Thanksgiving at their house and that would be turkey and Thanksgiving would be ham. But there would be a lot of appetizers and nashi foods that it, 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 it's it, it, her, my mother-in-law's Christmas dinner was basically a buffet. So there would be the ham, and then there would be a giant platter of shrimp, which mostly is what I would eat when I would go there. And there would be a bunch of like vegetables and, you know, like a crudite platter and, and then a whole mile of cakes and cookies and sweets and chocolate and that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, sometimes somebody else would come with a tray of couple of trays of sausage like italian sausages like the uh, the the sweet ones and the hot ones and and you know it's stuff i wouldn't eat anyway because of the pork factor and and uh you know there would be a lot of that kind of stuff so so it wouldn't be the same meal for both holidays hmm. interesting yeah. yeah i'm having fun creating vegetarian things with people and it's a lot of it's traditional all the traditional stuff and then you know some other type of protein or just just all kinds of interesting ways i I often do holidays with my friend amy and we create fun stuff together and invite friends and yeah it's cool good stuff interesting question Well, I'm Robin Renee, and you can find me on Facebook at Robin Renee Fan, on Instagram at Robin Renee Music, and on Twitter at Spirit Rock Sexy. If you're on Discord or travel in the subgenius circles, you can find me as Andrew Genus. And I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Wendy Cards, on Twitter at Wendy Designs, and on Etsy at Wendy Cards with a Z. And on Discord, I'm Voxwoman with a V. And remember, you can always reach out to us on social media at Leftscape. 
And please do send us your questions. And, you know, if it's a, uh, you got questions, we got answers, you can, uh, we might answer <laughs> it on the show and we're happy to field all your other questions too. So <laughs> until next time, be well. Say gay. And say bye. <laughs> and, <laughs> and keep left. You've been listening to the Leftscape podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake sponsor messages by Ariel Sheridan. Web hosting by InMotion. Remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash leftscape. Thanks for listening.